0: Welcome to another episode of Everything is Logistics, a podcast for the thinkers in Freight, hosted by me, Blythe Bromley. And on this show, we're telling stories about how your favorite stuff and people make it from point A to B. Now, in addition to being a creator in freight, I'm also the founder of Digital Dispatch, helping companies to build a better website from the ground up. We host more than 30 websites, all within the freight space. So for more info about me and our product or sponsorship offerings, be sure to visit everythingislogistics.com. In today's episode, we're pulling together a recent appearance from Freight Waves Now, which if you work in logistics, you likely know who they are. But if not, Freight Waves is the leading daily news program focusing on the top stories and in and around freight and logistics. So be sure to check them out over at Freight Waves TV for more stories like this and my own future appearances on the program happening every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And that's where I cover the intersection of digital media and the attention economy in logistics. Now that I've got all that out of the way, let's get into today's episode.
1: Right now, we're going to welcome Blythe Brumley to talk a little bit about the trending changes in searches. Blythe, thank you for joining us today. I love this one. Gen Z is not using Google search. So you've got to adapt your SEO strategy to what the people want, right?
0: yes so you can make it the argument first of all thanks for having me good to see you guys Uh, and and with seo with respect to seo it has been evolving for the past several years and unintentionally a senior vp was at a conference recently and revealed some internal data that that google had not shared publicly and in any kind of study or report but said close to 40 percent of gen z is using instagram and tiktok for search instead of using the google 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 search and Google Maps. So you could make an argument that a lot of these search results are, are kind of questionable as of late. That's due to spamming. That's due to you know people gamifying the system, especially marketers who are just learning the exact format of a blog post that Google loves to have. And that's really your easiest way to get to the top of the rankings. And when I say the top of the rankings, you want to be on, on page one of those search results. You don't want to be in the graveyard that is two, three, and whatever other pages that people might be searching for, but the the results on those pages tend to uh, convert l- a lot less. But it's really, I think, alarming that TikTok is not only scaring the bejesus out of companies like Facebook and Instagram, but also Google as well, because that's where people are going to make different kinds of searches to get more of an inspirational search, um, get real photos of, of real food, of, of real places that they want to visit and real videos. And they get that through Instagram and TikTok. And that also so leaves google uh, up into the to make the decision of what they want to do as far as what results that they display on their search results
1: page because that's evolved over the years as well So this is going to be kind of a two-part question for me. And first thing, starting out anecdotally, I definitely relate to this. Like if I'm looking for something like brunch spots in Austin, right? I will go to my Instagram first to search on Instagram, like put Austin in and then do like Austin brunch. And then it pulls up the aesthetic photos. And then you find most of these restaurants have their own Instagram account now, which link to their website in their bio, where they have pictures of their menu, et cetera, et cetera, which is a lot less work than going to Google and weeding through all of my options that way. But then also it kind of gives this, as you mentioned, that firsthand perspective of showing, you know, this is a great photo. This is a good place. This is something cool. That's that way. Do we get to a point where do you think that Google now really gets scared of this and starts not optimizing when you search there? Like, you know, it'll pop up like a a link to TikTok or a link to something's Instagram first. Do we get to a point where Google stops prioritizing those social media things in their first uh, search results because of this?
0: It's actually the reverse. So Google is for now. It's the reverse where Google is is making the announcements where they're going to start including. They, they've included YouTube results for for years. A lot of people don't know that YouTube is the second largest search engine on the planet. It's more than Yahoo. I mean, whoever uses Yahoo and and some people use Bing as far as their search engines are concerned. But Google owns close, to, I think, eighty percent of the search market. And the way that they result, the way that they show the results on the results page, is that they have their paid advertisements that show first. And then they typically will have one results and then the rest are videos, there are images, and then you go into the text-based results. So a a smart marketer would, would optimize for all three of those different areas. But you're right, that the user behavior has changed so much that Google now is kind of forced to include not only YouTube videos, but they've said that they're going to start including TikTok search videos. And TikTok has also said that as a platform themselves, that they're going to increase their search capabilities in order to sort of chip away at that dominant market share that that Google has on search. They've also said with, with Google in particular, that they're going to start incorporating their shorts feature, which is as some very similar feature to tiktok it's grown in in popularity as far as that the youtube app is concerned so my thinking is is that they're going to include the tiktok results for now maybe some youtube shorts because people just aren't the 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 amount of videos just aren't there yet on YouTube Shorts. So I think they're going to supplement that result with YouTube Shorts and TikTok. But there's going to be a day eventually that they're just going to cut TikTok out of it. I think they're only using TikTok right now because they just don't have the the amount of content that people are looking for. And so they they'd rather, you know, sort of join the party at first, but they're definitely going to make their own party here soon.
2: I feel so old. You're talking about searching for brunch spots on Instagram. I'm over here still using Yelp for different ratings and rankings. But Blythe, when we're looking at really TikTok being so prevalent here in searches, are they locking people into their ecosystem? So I know, for example, um, if I clicked on an Instagram link that someone sent me, sometimes I have to just log into my Instagram account. Is that the same case for TikTok? Do I have to download the app? Because I still don't have it. And does that mean I'm missing out on a bunch of content or can I just view it from like a regular old school web browser?
0: Uh, you technically can because the desktop app is is being. I, it, it, there's a lot of desktop apps now for all of the social media platforms because people realize, or these people at these companies realize that marketers are going to schedule more content and creators are going to schedule more content if you give them desktop capabilities. Now, from the user standpoint, um, I just download the app. It's, it's a super fun app. That's that would be my reply to that because if you want to view TikTok content, if you want to search through their platform, I don't think that that's actually a good question. I don't know that you can search through their platform and not get results or, or get the results that you're trying to see if you don't actually have the app. But I do know that there are instances where we have, you know, a group chat. And so one of us will send a TikTok video and one person in particular in our group chat is just a super privacy nut. He won't even click on the links because he doesn't <laughs> want the web browser to track his data. So he's super crazy about that aspect of it. I'm like, bro, we're just looking for, for beach spots. It's not that big of a deal if the government tracks access in that regard. Um, so you really, I would say, download the app and try it out or try it out from desktop to see if you can find some different, you know, uh, I guess, search functions that would matter to you because that the search function or the search intent, I should say, is really what matters here, whether it's TikTok, whether it's Instagram, whether it's Pinterest, whether it's YouTube, whether it's it's Google, the intent matters of why you're going to that platform. And so that that's really where the big scare is coming from, especially on Google's part, is that people are going to TikTok and Instagram to look for food spots, to to look for brunch spots. And that chips away at their ad revenue of where they can place ads on the map feature. Snapchat, I think, just announced the other day that they have their own map, or they've had their own map for years, but now Instagram has stolen that feature from them as well. Not really stolen, but copied it from them. So I wouldn't put it past TikTok to eventually make a map feature that incorporates all of these different spots, and that's an additional ad revenue stream. So Google is... Tend to be more on the navigational side, how to get somewhere, but increasingly, they're, they're still the, the dominant player on the block with 87% of the market share, but increasingly all of these other platforms are starting to chip away because it's useful information. It's information that people want to see. It's more visual, it's more immersive, more... Um, it, it, the, you, you actually feel like you're experiencing what you want to experience. You're getting a preview of what you want to experience on these more visual-based apps, and I think that that's, that's really really where Google is going to have to lean more towards when it comes to search. But if you're looking for, for TikTok content, you have to have the app to do the searches. Anthony, download the
2: app.
1: <laughs> Anthony, I, I'll walk you through the step-by-step process after the show. We'll set you up with an account. Perfect. It's You're going to be at Economy Lately with Anthony Smith. You're going to go viral. It's, oh, it's fine. It's great. We'll get it done.
2: Economy <laughs> Lately. I like the way you're thinking here.
1: Economy Late Night with Anthony Smith. That's what we're going to do. it. But Blythe, So last question for you you today when we're talking about the crossover between google to these social media sites i think a lot of us kind of have the fear that like oh we're being watched or our data is being tracked which is of course happening right because you google something and then a facebook ad for it pops up or you google one thing and then your for you page is only about things that are relevant to what you googled is there a point right now where these two co- or companies google versus the other social media companies are now sharing that data information in a partnership and that's truly influencing what you're seeing on the social sites And is that either helpful or not useful to Google in their fight against the social media?
0: So it's kind of two-pronged. So there's been this uh, sort of data, I guess, privacy renaissance that's happened over the last couple of years where people are much more aware of their privacy rights. You know, uh, different laws have come down the pipeline, especially over in Europe with GDPR. Um, Here over in the States, there's the the California Privacy Act, I believe Colorado and Utah. I think New York is another state that's looking at their own sort of statewide privacy acts that that affects all of these different technology companies. And so what's happening is is that a lot of these companies are having to completely rewrite how they collect data in the first place. Now, before there were all these different, you know, sort of third party data brokers where your data is just kind of just up for anybody to, to grab and, and, and you are just bought and sold on, on the digital market as far as your data is concerned. Now they're starting to, to reel that back in not fast enough, um, but some of these places share data. Some of them go to third party data brokers in order to get the information from there. It's like buying an email list off of, you know, a shady website or something. It's it's essentially works exactly like that. Now, some of these platforms now have their own silos. And so Google search is a great example of, of that is essentially a silo where Google keeps all of the queries that are inputted into their platform. Most of them are kept close to the chest. They're not shared with other third parties. So keyword searching tools and things like that, that is an estimate. It's not based on actual real data that comes from Google itself. Now, with all these other platforms that are starting to play and dabble into search, now now they're starting to collect their own data. Um, TikTok, in particular, Facebook has had years and years of data, um, but they're all going to face the sort of, I guess, the, the the privacy Piper whenever it comes to to sync for them, because that is where a lot of different marketing strategies are going to fall to the wayside, because people have been so used to just having access to a plethora of data where y- you can just essentially make any kind of target market se- segment, anything you want, and you can advertise towards that segment. You know a 50-year-old grandmother who likes to sew um, but goes to the YMCA on the weekend, you could target that a few years ago. Nowadays, you can't really do that. So it puts the onus back on the marketer, back on the sales team, back on the the company itself in order to create a marketing program that is is not really reliant on a ton of privacy data or privacy-related data. And it also increases the importance of collecting your own data, either through your website or your own social media platforms, because that's really the only way that you're going to be able to survive in this future sort of privacy-driven marketing world because a lot of these companies, either they have access to the data that was sold by third-party brokers for years and years, but now collecting your own first-party data is, is really the most important thing that you could be doing as a business owner, as a marketer.
1: Right now, we're going to welcome Blythe Brumley, host of Cyberly, to the show this morning. And Blythe, we've got no short order today, talking about the analysis of the mind behind Mark Zuckerberg. So thank you for joining us. And I just want to get right into it. I want to know your thoughts. Let's do it because Mark Zuckerberg is
0: kind of just one of those weird, I guess, CEOs and founders of a company. You never really hear much from him. You only really hear sort of snippets and 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 interesting insight from him. But he sat down with Joe Rogan for a three hour interview and he talked about, you know, Facebook as a company or Meta as their main company now and how he thinks about the future and how he thinks about, you know, the, the metaverse, his own version of the metaverse and what he thinks that should look like and the hardware. That that's powering it, and also creating experiences, not only in his future metaverse, but also on his current platforms that he owns right now. So WhatsApp, Instagram, Facebook, and how he thinks around content moderation. You know, we've talked a bunch, especially on FreightWaves Waves Now, about the, the issues around content moderation, and it was really interesting to hear his perspective on all of those things, on how he's essentially shaping the, the global conversation around you know, the hot topic, the, the water cooler topics that are happening in every country all around the world. So it was a really interesting interview that I haven't heard him speak at this length. And I came away with it with almost feeling a little bit better towards Mark Zuckerberg in a weird way than I was before. And I I think that that's ultimately, you know, a positive for him and and ultimately what he's building as far as like the PR around it. But it was still, you know, kind of a, you know, are we okay with giving this person this much control over the global conversation and where we spend our attention online?
1: So I think of the original intention behind Facebook, right? And the Facebook founding story of just something that was created literally to link common people at a college at a university and now we're talking about this entire global force which as you said controls the conversation the global online conversation because they are such a huge conglomerate was there any type of indication of zuckerberg's feelings towards how this grew and kind of just the scope that facebook is at right now because i'm sure when he was a college kid sitting around creating this there was no expectation that this was going to turn out this way
0: One hundred percent, because he was building it as a place just for Harvard. So he went to Harvard and he built this, you know, with a couple other co-founders who are no longer, you know, I guess, related to the company. They ended up having a big falling out. But he uh, developed this and he kind of saw it as, well, you know, this is eventually going to be a big thing. You know, it's a it's a thing right now for Harvard and we want to create it. But then he noticed and he started paying attention to, you know, different colleges that wanted in on this different, you know, a Facebook for their college. So he said he would start to launch like two colleges at a time and he would do it at night on in his off time. And then he would go and talk about it with his friends. It was kind of like a normal, like a little side hustle for him. And then it turned into, you know, when people left college, they were still using it. And that's when he knew that he kind of had something. And so it just developed from there. And it it sort of evolved into this thing that he never thought you know, his company would be the one to sort of take off because he talks about, you know, it, it, around this time, there were other platforms that that were still this, sort of the dominant king in this space. It was Google, it was Yahoo, um, even some competitors like Friendster uh, were coming around. And so he thought that one of those companies would take off or, you know, eventually like Google or Yahoo would build their own social media platform, kind of like Facebook. But then he just, they kind of looked at it as almost a fad or had he, he kind of theorizes that Google and Yahoo looked at it as a fad And so he was the one that just really like built it like brick by brick. And then eventually it turned into this global phenomenon where it's it's all in all countries, all ages. You know, you don't have to be in college anymore, obviously, to be on Facebook. And that's how the platform has evolved. And he never and he really struggles. I think another takeaway from this interview is that he really struggles with the content moderation side of things and that, you know, he takes a different approach versus, you know, how Twitter treats, you know, news stories and things like that and how they award. You know, they have more of like an independent uh, sourcing company that comes in and independent fact checkers. So it's not Facebook making these determinations on what should be shared and what shouldn't be shared. And so it's it's a really, really fascinating deep dive into the person that really controls a platform that has, you know, billions of users all over the globe. And you wonder where it's going to stop And it really, with his development into the metaverse, I don't know that it's going to stop. I think it's just gonna transition into another type of virtual world.
2: And Blythe, when you talk about Mark Zuckerberg, you mentioned a great point that there's a lot of power within one person really can being able to control conversation or content moderation. Where's that delicate balance? Because it almost seems like every time I hear someone talk about Facebook or what's going on on social media, There is no happy parties about anything that's happening. They're just saying something's getting suppressed or something's just, you know, fake news or anything like that. So we're looking at that content moderation aspect. Is there any winning formula in your mind, um, you know, just making the most popular stories at the top? Or is there just something that's just always something that's going to have someone upset about what's being shown?
0: It's the latter part. Exactly what you just said. It's always going to have some somebody is always going to be upset. And he mentions that it's particularly a U.S. problem where Facebook exists in these countries all over the globe. But the polarization is really a factor in the U.S. Where polar compared to other countries where polarization is either reach already reached its height and declining compared to the U.S., where he kind of theorizes where it's because of our two party system, where it's kind of like, you know, one side versus the other side versus other countries where they sort of have open primaries and it's open discussion. And so he mentions that it's a a uniquely U.S. problem that we essentially fight with each other all day long using these social media apps. And then he goes on and and (laughs) talks about the, how they treat misinformation and what counts as misinformation and what counts as, because, you know, it could be in one political party's eyes, you know, a story could be misinformation. Whereas the other side it's, Oh, I'm getting shadow banned. They're, they're keeping me from, from spreading the truth. And so they have two different levels of, of how they sort of parse through the information. And one side of it is that they look at it is you know, is, is somebody going to suffer, you know, violent consequences from this? Is, is, is that, you know, child pornography, things like that, that's on one bucket. And then the other bucket is they really just want the news to just be released to everybody if it's not harmful to the audience. Say, you know, a, a perfect example that they used in the show was the flat earthers who believe that, you know... Th- there's a flat earth and that space is fake. And so how do you, do you let people talk about that? And Zuckerberg's position was, is yet, yes, you let people talk about it, but you don't let people talk or you, you slow down the, I I guess the reach of the story. And so he mentioned several different stories where they award like almost like a point system on, on whether or not this story, yes, you can share it to the platform, but is it going to reach your greater audience, you know, other people, um, that, that are showing up in the feed. And so it's kind of this this yin and this yang of like how you're going to approach it. But I do think that how they're approaching it is probably the smartest way to go. And especially when it comes to fact-checking, using those independent fact-checkers in order to come in and make those determinations on if a story is true or not. You don't want somebody like Mark Zuckerberg or or any really anybody else being that sole person that decides if a story is real or not. So I I like the idea of having the independent fact-check. Checkers, but there is sort of just this greater nuance to how do you parse through all of the data because spam is a real issue. The bot problem is a real issue across all social media platforms. And so how do they treat you know a, a business that just wants to spam and post you know 20 times in a row so they stay in your feed versus somebody who maybe just had a baby and you really wanna see that over a spamming business that's posting 20 times in a row in a matter of five minutes. So there's this balance that needs to happen With an algorithm and then parsing it through two different sort of funnel systems of is this violence or is this going to incite violence versus
1: misinformation? The other interesting thing, too, Blythe, that I think that we need, we we could honestly spend an entire podcast episode on talking about the difference between freedom of speech restrictions, which a lot of folks think there are, versus the fact that Facebook is a private company, so they're not the government limiting your free speech. It's such an interesting conversation, something that I definitely think that we need to talk about as well but we're out of time. So where can we find Cyberly and more of your thoughts on Mark Zuckerberg tomorrow? Sure. So we're going to be covering this a little bit more in depth, including the
0: roles and how they're going to be shifting in in Mark Zuckerberg's new sort of metaverse world. So we're going to be covering that in tomorrow's Cyberly. We are live every Thursday from 2 to 3 PM Eastern Standard
1: Time. And Blythe, just as it was last week, we are talking TikTok once again. So welcome to the show.
0: (laughs) I know. I feel like people are getting uh, kind of tired of hearing about it all the time. But I just think it's fascinating the way that the, this platform is redefining how we
1: interact online. I think it's fascinating, too. And you know what, Anthony? We didn't get your TikTok account set up last week. <laughs> We're going to make it happen this week. But we did get Donnie on TikTok. He got on TikTok yesterday. So one at a time. Nice. Donnie's <laughs> the guy that
2: steps,
1: can go That's all the we can ask.
0: yeah you can it's 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 very easy to go viral but it's also not what it's all cracked up to be there there's a lot of uh uh, bad stuff that comes with going viral
1: the hate comments on tiktok really just are unreal but blind let's get into today's topic in tiktok as a marketing strategy tiktok as now kind of this go-to opportunity what can you tell us
0: so with a lot of TikTok, well, when you think about it, just back it up just a little bit. When you think about how we interact with modern media. So think about opening up Netflix or opening up YouTube. You have to scroll for a while to find what you actually want to watch, pick and choose and make that decision. And sometimes at the end of the day, you're just you're too tired for making those decisions it's called decision fatigue. And so with TikTok and what they've kind of revolutionized is that taking away that decision of deciding what to watch. They they're a content first platform. And so when you open the app, the videos immediately start playing, there's no decision to be made. You can scroll if you if you don't particularly like that video, but they are betting that the content that they're showing you is something that you're going to like versus other social media platforms, which those other social media platforms are now copying a lot of what TikTok has made famous. And a lot of these other platforms, their users are just not having it. And uh, it was Kylie Jenner yesterday that she she tweeted out or she posted on Instagram to make Instagram Instagram again because Instagram is moving away from the the photo dominance that they've had for so long I think close to a decade now that they've been dominant as the photo sharing app but now they're moving away from that Be- they're becoming a video first app and it has people up in arms and especially with with Kylie Jenner the last time she said something about a social media platform Snapchat lost 1.3 billion dollars in market share so you might not kind of roll your eyes Uh, You know, something that the Kardashians may say, but it has real market value and the decisions that these companies are making. And a lot of them now are copying what TikTok is doing and being a content first platform.
1: So I was on TikTok yesterday, and literally watching a video about this exact topic and the breakdown of it was really, really great because it was a direct comparison between Instagram and TikTok and talking about the rise and the fall of each. And the point that was made by that creator was that Instagram was a person-first platform at its core and it was made to make you feel like you were sharing and seeing your friends and sharing and seeing the content that you wanted to see and it really prioritized the person putting in their personal brand or showing what they wanted, whether that was food pictures or selfies or pictures of their dog or pictures of their travels. Whereas TikTok is a creator-focused brand and you don't do well just by, you know, having an uncurated, this is what my life looks like, you know, where you can do well on Instagram like that. And that's that kind of big deviation to where we've got now TikTok, who is really, really good at suggesting posts and suggesting what people want to say their algorithm is good, versus Instagram, who is now doing suggested posts and it's ads and it is all this stuff which people just don't want to see and it drives them away from the platform. So with that, bringing you back to the marketing spin of things, If you're a creator and you're looking to still use Instagram and get on it and capitalize on it, how can you make your content be favored by their algorithm and favored by their suggested posts? So even though maybe people aren't using it, they're still getting eyes on it.
0: Well, Instagram has made it very clear that the that where you need to find success is through Reels. So you really have so Reels is a, a TikTok clone. So it's sort of like YouTube Shorts, which is another sort of copying of TikTok. But in order to make it on Instagram, the growth is really really slow. And this is what happens: sort of the evolution of these different social media platforms, where they reach a certain level of user base, then that platform starts monetizing, and naturally, with any kind of monetization, that leaves you know users to to go to another platform where there are less ads. I've seen people complain that, you know, for every Two posts that Instagram shows, there's another two ads, or there's an ad for every two posts that you're seeing. So it is dominated by ads as Instagram is also transitioning into becoming a shopping first platform. So if you're making videos and you have e commerce products, maybe on, you know, an Etsy site or or, or somewhere else, it's not really, I guess, relevant to freight, um, but that is how you're going to technically grow on Instagram per Instagram. A lot of the complaints that come around when they say, I just want to see photos of my that was a big complaint yesterday when instagram when, when kylie posted about instagram and so adam morrissey who is the head of strategy over at instagram caused him to release a few videos and a few tweets over on different social media platforms explaining the breakdown and talking about yes i would love to be able to show you more images from your friends and your close connected platform your close connected network but frankly that growth just isn't happening there that's happening the growth for instagram is happening in dms and it's happening in stories. And so for the in-feed post, as you're scrolling, if you want to have a chance to grow on Instagram, then you're going to have to play by their rules and constantly you know, keep updated with how their algorithm is changing and what kind of content they are favoring. Because chances are if they have a new focus, they need creators to embrace that new focus and they're going to prioritize you more. So if you are just dead set on growing on Instagram, pay attention to what Adam Morrissey says pay attention to the releases and what he thinks that you should be focusing on and that's a good signal as to how to shift your content strategy a lot of photographers a lot of image based profiles are going to be very upset by these different changes because instagram is not a photo first platform anymore they will still support it but it's just not going to be their priority and they're not going to show you more so in the in the feed or you know in in the explore page they're not going to show you in those areas if you're not playing by their rules so you can either play by the rules or or you can try another platform where you have a better chance at more organic growth. And that still remains to be LinkedIn and TikTok. That's where you'll have your biggest organic growth.
2: And Blythe, when I'm learning more and more about TikTok, I'm learning it's about, you know, fast-paced content, being able to catch someone's attention, get across your information, and just keep it moving. Is that shifting the way that a lot of consumers are consuming information or consuming different material? When I think of sometimes I'm watching YouTube videos and they say, hey this is the theme of the video and then they don't get to the theme of the video until maybe seven, eight minutes in. And then you're just like, why did you just waste all this time? Was it because you want to earn ad revenue? What's going on here? How does this shift how we're consuming content, how, you know, Gen Z is going to be looking to really kind of consume marketing material and moving forward?
0: So with short-form video, you really want to focus on getting to the point as soon as possible. That's why your hook, which is the first sentence that you are creating in your video, that's why the hook is so just drastically important. Because you can have up to three-minute-long videos over on TikTok. And with the idea that from just my own perspective, if I'm going to create a TikTok, it's going to be one to three minutes long. And it's going to be a summary of a longer-form piece of content. So it's almost you're going to give them value in that piece of content that they're watching. So it, it could be anywhere from, you know, five seconds to three minutes long. But the idea is that somebody will see my content and like it and want to go and follow the podcast or go and, you know, watch a, a cyberly show. And so that's the idea whenever you're creating this short form video content is that you're giving people just a sample. Now you can expand it into multiple videos or, you know, a series of videos. Now they have a playlist feature over on tiktok but the hook is the most important part no matter if you're on youtube instagram or tiktok you have to be able to grab people's attention because attention spans are dropping i think it's you know just seconds now i think 30 seconds is our attention span if you don't catch someone's attention within that first 30 seconds or answer that question of whoever is is searching for content say on youtube which is the second largest search engine on the planet typically people are looking for a solution to their problem when they're searching on YouTube. So if you're not getting to that very quickly, then YouTube's algorithm is going to not show your video to as many people. If you get to the point and get to it quickly and people have a positive interaction and they stay on the platform and they watch other videos, or that is the signal to these different social media platforms that this person is creating valuable content that is keeping viewers here. That is the most important metric for any of these social media platforms is, is your content keeping people on their platform and not leaving? So it's kind of like a fine line that you got to walk with that, that balance of creating promotional content that keeps people there and keeps people interested and keeps, you know, your, your followers increasing and your engagement increasing, but also on the flip side that also sends, you know, relevant traffic to your other long form pieces of content. So it's thinking about it as almost like a hub and spoke method where the center of that content is maybe your email newsletter or your website or a podcast, and then the different spokes or the different social media platforms that you distribute little snippets of that content to it.
1: Do we see a point in time where one of these social media platforms, whether it's meta-based or whether it's TikTok-based, whether it's TikTok's parent company-based, becomes what we would call a super app, where you have everything that a person could feasibly want in their online content in one place, talking short-form video, long-form video, photography, audio-only like a podcast, your shopping platform, your jobs networking like LinkedIn. Is there a point in time where we get this to be a super app, or do we still continue to see specialization out of one piece?
0: I think that we will. It's the main goal for all of these apps to just keep you in their ecosystem and never go to any other platform. That's their main goal. And certainly some of these different platforms, especially with uh, TikTok and especially with Instagram, they want to become a shopping first platform. And it's still with Instagram and Facebook, they are still the number one platforms as far as advertising is concerned. It's much better and much more sophisticated than what TikTok has. But TikTok is closing that gap as far as the, the advertising technology. And I think that with all of these, and and I wouldn't even really put YouTube in that social media category, but I think that YouTube probably has the strongest case for it because they have the ability for short form content all the way up to hours long content. They have live streaming. They have the ability to, you know, be included in search results when Google is still the dominant player in, in search results. And so if you have in that Google ecosystem, I think YouTube probably has the best bet, but I would put TikTok... As a close second, because I I think Instagram and I think Facebook, the user cap has just already reached and they're going to start seeing declining growth. If they don't start listening to some of the concerns that users are having with the platform, they, they want, they, they like familiarity and they don't want to be bombarded with advertisements. But Instagram, I mean that the, the livelihood of a platform has to evolve, but it doesn't have to evolve in a way that it's turning users off and it's sending them to other platforms because the majority of these platforms are fueled by creators. And if creators can't see growth or if they it's slow coming as far as the growth is concerned, then they're gonna move to other platforms where that that growth is, is is much easier and even th- th- as far as like the creating the content wise it's much more of a challenge to create these different you know short form videos than it is for just you know just post a photo of the lunch that i was eating so there's much higher barrier of entry but it's also a challenge, I think, for a lot of folks to learn these new platforms. And I think that that's where a lot of the fun is. So you kind of have to just balance it where you're, you're, you're focusing on what you want to create, but also what's going to benefit the users and keep the users on the platform, because then that plays to the algorithm gods. And I know it feels like a lot, um, but that's just the nature of social media and trying to get attention for the things you want attention on. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Everything is Logistics, a podcast by Digital Dispatch where we help your company build a better website. And speaking of my company, I founded it back in 2018, but we recently streamlined our website services plans. So if you want to check out how we can help you and your marketing team build a better website and connect those ROI goals, then go visit digitaldispatch.io. You can also check out past episodes of this show and every show by hitting up the resources page on digitaldispatch.io or on everythingislogistics.com. I do some freelance content projects for select clients. And if you liked this show, then you might like some of the other content projects that I've worked on, like Cyberly, Maritime Means, and more. But until next time, I'm Blake Brumleave, and I will see you real soon. Go Jags!